I found love. 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 I found love in the eye of the storm. In the eye of the storm. doing Australia Day. If you want us to do Australia Day, you can fuck right off. We're not going to do it. Yeah, we've chosen to do Anzac Day instead of Australia Day because fuck Australia Day. But we still want to do some Aussie movies, but there's not many good ones, so chuck the Kiwis in there, why not? So is is that your actual opinion, that there aren't many good Australian movies? Because lots of lots of people say that. Yeah, I feel like I've seen a lot of really, really bad ones, and they're bad in a way that is very particularly Australian. Elaborate. I don't know. They're either like the mood is it's kind of like they're trying to do dark humour, but it just comes off as a drama with really bad comedy in it. Some things that pop to mind are um, Baby Teeth. Yeah, I saw you rant about that on the Snooty Movie Club. Um... Yeah, there was Baby Teeth. Um, there was, I remember one I saw it was a kid called like Hey Hey, it's Esther Blueburger. What? <laughs> ostensibly a kids movie or like a teenage coming of age story but she goes to a lipstick party remember when there was a moral panic about those i don't even really know what a lipstick party is so i don't know if it was even real it sounds like something that maybe like the daily mail invented but the idea was <laughs> teenage girls got together and wore different shades of lipstick and they all like knobbed off slob slob the knob <laughs> Sucked off at one dude, and then he's got, like, a lipstick, a rainbow on his dick. <laughs> so you say, uh, let's talk about that secret language, Michelle. Yes. I didn't know any of this. I have, yeah, I have, I've gotten a whole new vocabulary. I did not know Let any of this. this. Salad tossing, this is me. I'm thinking cucumbers, no lettuce, tomatoes. Okay, okay so, okay. so what here. is a salad okay, toss? Okay, a toss salad is, get ready, hold on to your underwear for this one, oral anal sex. So oral sex to the anus is what... Toss salad is. Hi, mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a rainbow party is an oral sex party. It's a gathering where oral sex is performed, and rainbow comes from all of the girls put on lipstick, and each one puts her mouth around the penis of the gentleman or gentlemen who are there to receive favors and makes a mark um, in a different place on the penis, hence the term rainbow. So, okay, um, and so what is. So what does pretty boy mean? A pretty, pretty boy. boy is a sexually active boy, someone who's been fairly promiscuous. So it isn't what maybe what you would have thought pretty boy meant in your and time. And dirty means what? Does dirty, dirty mean a means a diseased girl? And along with that, the term that some teens are using to mean HIV is high five. I barely remember this movie. I just remember that she participates in one of those, and I think there's also like someone kills themselves. And it's like, I don't know. Like I really like looking for Ella Brandy. I think that's a really good movie. A good I don't know that. Yeah, like, I feel... Brandy? They didn't make nope. you read it or watch the movie at school? You've never heard of it. Nope, never heard of it. 
Jesus, that is unbelievable. I should have chosen that. Oh, well, too late now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it fits it's, for something else, you can always pick it. But It's um, it's a movie about, well, it's based on a book, but um, it's a, this teenage girl who's Australian and also Italian, and then she grows up and teenage stuff happens up. And that's a really good coming-of-age story. Okay. And I don't know. I was connected with it because she's Australian-Italian. They made me study the movie in high school. I thought everyone in Australia had to study the, either the book or the movie. That's surprising. I've never even heard of it. I'm not sure we studied any Australian movies. I, I mean, we we studied Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet because they thought it would be easier for us to get into that than actually read Shakespeare. They made us do both. But um, anyway, yeah, I would have chosen Lucky Brown. I just assumed you would have had to study and wouldn't want to fucking talk about it. I don't know. I never had the thing where I can't go back to something that I studied, with the exception of Catcher in the Rye, because they made me study it three years in a row <laughs> for some reason. Just every single English and literature class for three years in a row at the same school. They were like, we're doing Catcher in the Rye again. Oh man, that's so. I read that book of my own volition. It wasn't even part of my studies, I just decided to read it. I would have decided to read it of my own volition, but I can now no longer go back to it. And apparently it's no longer cool to like Catcher in the Rye anyway, so... I really like that bit when he caught all that rye. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> um, Catcher in the Rye to Catch Harder. <laughs> A good day to catch rye. Live free or catch rye. I'm trying to think of other, like, bad Australian movies, because I did make a little list of, like, honourable mentions of movies I would have liked to cover, but I figured you'd seen already. And... Well, so so this is what I was kind of getting at, is that, like, I, I feel like Australia's prestige movies and a hell of a lot of our indie movies suck, but that I could probably make a list of, like, a hundred Aussie movies that I really, really like. While I could make a list of, like, a thousand American movies that are great. So, like, maybe by comparison, it's not. I feel like there is just, there's a hell of a lot of good stuff that Australia puts out. The main problem, as I see it, is that then our Australian directors leave <laughs> the country <laughs> <laughs> because Australia's movie industry just kind of sucks. And, like, I mean... if only we had had it back, like, in the Ozploitation days when they were just, like... I, I, I'm pretty sure... You've seen um, that Ozploitation documentary. Uh... Not quite Hollywood? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they showed that to me in TAFE, actually. Yeah, right. Um, I'm pretty sure they mentioned in that that as the Australian government, it wasn't that movies were tax deductible. They were tax-free, like you got tax-refundable. Every cent you put into the movie, you got back from tax. Oh, wow. So, and that's why there was just this huge influx of Aussie movies, which, though, ironically, like, didn't exactly lead to Australia's best movies. But, you know, yeah, like, like, some of them, like Mad Max. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I still haven't actually seen the original Mad Maxes. I've only seen Fury Road. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah, the first Mad Max is a really cool movie and really, really different to what Fury Road and all the other ones are. It's not 
it's not a chase movie it's not really set in a post-apocalyptic future like it, it sort of is but it's it's much more straightforward but still really really good and then the sequel road warrior is basically what fury road is and, and sets the template i just hate um what's his name racist man oh yeah yeah Gibson. yeah you would hate him sugar tits So movies I, I do like that are Australian, uh, well, you're looking for Albany. I almost just Garage Days. Did you ever see that? That was like an Alex Proyas film. No, I haven't. It's... I haven't seen that. Yeah, that's also got two of the main actors from Looking for Ella Brandy in it. So I didn't mention them because I'm like, if you haven't seen that, you won't know them from Garage Days either. But um, yeah, it's one of Alex Proyas's films. And I was like, oh, we already did one of these movies last time. So fuck it. Um, what else is that? Did you ever see the movie Hercules Returns? No, no. I kind of vaguely know of it. The idea is that, yeah, these got people who work for like a cinema somewhere in Australia get this print of an old Italian movie that has no subtitles or a dubbing. So they decide to do their whole own dubbing and the whole movie is just these people dubbing over this really, really old movie. Okay. Okay. Right. I so Woody Allen did that with, uh, What's Up Tiger Lily? It's like a James Bond ripoff movie that he chooses, and then he just, you know, dumps over it. There's a few movies like that. Ah, okay. I, I thought they were being completely original. Oh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, obviously. That's probably one of my favourite Australian movies, actually. Mm. Or as the chasers run everything called it, Puffs on a Bus. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually really like The Loved Ones. Because I think that's a good balance of like. Oh, the loved ones is is incredible, and uh, yeah, I, I saw that when it came out in cinemas too, and I found it hilarious and was cackling the whole way through. And and my girlfriend at the time hated the movie just with a with a passion. But like the bit at the end where uh, the um, the psycho girl is crawling along the road. <laughs> It <laughs> just made me burst out laughing. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, like, again, like, The Loved Ones is great. I've I, I've decided to write down a, th a few. Like, Chopper, which I just rewatched recently with Loretta, is so damn brilliant. And at the time, like, Eric Banner at that time was known as a stand-up comedian. And then he goes and he does Chopper, which... Also, like, a lot of people watch Chopper and they're like, this is super upsetting, disturbing movie, and it is. But it is really funny, too. And it, you can kind of tell that Eric Banner was a stand-up comedian, and he gets what is sort of lovable about the psychopath that is Chopper Reed. And Loretta for Christmas bought me the children's book that Chopper Reed wrote called Hooky the Cripple. Uh, and it That's is... Rest in peace. It is outsider art at its finest, and and I think the uh, I think the illustrator killed himself shortly after too. And it's like, and all of his work's super upsetting and super depressing. It's it's an Archibald Prize winner, illustrating a children's book written by Chopper Reed, and the entire thing is just murky brown gray stuff about a hunchback who is bleed his whole life until he finally just murders this uh, murder, uh, murders his employer and is put on trial and then the whole thing is like this wish fulfillment about how murder is justified and this is how 
this is how Chopper's trials should have gone. It's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. I remember seeing a sign up once at Chatsdale saying Chopper Reed was doing like a book signing. And I found that so crazy. It's like he had come and meet a murderer. Yeah, yeah. It's very it's very Aussie though. Like we love Ned Kelly. We love Chopper Reed. And uh, this is an aspect of Australian society that I I actually find really endearing for some reason. Aussie battlers. <laughs> Yeah, but like psychopathic Aussie battlers who murder cops. Those are the, those are the people we idolize. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, what other uh, honorable mentions did you want before we jump into our picks of the month? Romper Stomper. Did you ever see Romper Stomper? No, I still haven't seen that. I, that's like like Aussie American History X, <laughs> Australian History X. Yeah, but yeah, but it's it's much like much more terrifying than american history x it's it's the curb stomping scene for the entire movie that bad boy bubby it's amazing and like for the first 30 minutes you're going to like think that this is some very edgy horrible movie about like essentially joseph fritzel style circumstances it's so grim and disturbing for 30 minutes and then by the end it is so tear-jerkingly happy and like the middle part is so punk rock it's a movie that changes tones throughout it but you've really got to like stick with it for the first 30 minutes because you might otherwise just assume it's going to be um like uh some grimy hostel style movie i hate i hate shit like that like i hate yeah movies about like disgusting sad fuck losers who are like creeps and perverts and zerg i hate those of them. well it opens with bubby bubby is basically being imprisoned in his whole life by his mother who like uses him for sex in their basement like it's it's a joseph fritzel style story for for 30 minutes and then it goes so far the other way when he escapes and encounters australiana and joins the aussie rock scene and finds love. It's it's like it's it's an incredible movie. Okay, okay you've convinced me, but you just made me think of um, Hounds of Love. That's another movie I saw. Yes, that was directed at a Q and A afterwards, but we had to. Me and my friend had to yeet because her car was going to get a fine otherwise. So also oh, Q and A's Q and A's can be overrated. I I, I uh, was at a Q and A with John Waters uh, when I saw him. He was giving a talk recently. Like like a year ago or something in Australia, like a comedy slash career retrospective talk, yeah. and uh, the Q and A was frankly frightening. There was someone who stood up and like said that he has never seen a John Waters movie. He never wants to see a John Waters movie. And how the fuck dare John Waters make the kinds of movies that he makes and think it's okay. And I felt genuinely worried that John Waters was going to be murdered that night. Why the fuck are you there <laughs> then, bro? Say that kind of vitriol. And John Waters, like, didn't miss a beat. He was just, like, responded to his question as if everything was all right. I was like, this is terrifying. I, that's something I love John Waters and I realize I've only seen, like, fucking two or three of his movies. I really need to, like, see more. Um, have you seen Wake and Fright? No, I don't want to see kangaroos actually get killed. Someone told me that happens in them. It's not killed for the movie. They, they were it, they. It's footage from a kangaroo cull, but they didn't go out of their way to kill any kangaroos for I the movie. Sworn that the director said that he hired these people to 
kill kangaroos. Or- no, no, they go out of their way to like with a disclaimer at the start to be like, we did not kill any kangaroos in the making oh, of this movie. That's just the best Australian movie ever made. <laughs> it's it's incredible. It's all about how shitty Australia is, and <laughs> it gets that message across very. It's a, it's about how a, a mild mannered British uh, teacher who teaches in, in an outback town. Uh, accidentally gets stranded in the outback in the place called the Yabba for five days, and that drives him to commit suicide. (laughs) (laughs) The Proposition? Did you ever see The Proposition? Uh, Nick Cave's Western. He he wrote... He wrote a Western, um, and it's, again, just incredible. Um, And... We've got some good horror, like Road Games. Did you? Oh, I keep meaning to see that one. Yeah, yeah. I'll um, I'll find a way to make you watch it. <laughs> yeah, I I think it just got added to like Shutter or something. So. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, because it's had a new it's had a new restoration. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, no, I I have it has been on my radar for a while. Um, oh, this the movie Triangle, which all Australian cast filmed in Queensland, Australian director. But they're all putting on American accents, and it's ostensibly... Yeah, okay, because I was about to say, like, is that an Australian movie? I think the director might be English. But it's filmed in Queensland, and all the actors are Australian. When I was in film school, uh, in screenwriting class and directing class, the teachers were always so annoyed when someone would pitch a movie idea, and it wasn't set in Australia. <laughs> and and quite rightly. Like, like this is why Australian... Um, uh, Australia, like, like there are, I, I think so many great Australian films, but why there aren't a huge number of Australian, like, there should be thousands, and there's not. There's maybe a hundred, and the reason is that no one really wants to make a movie about Australia. <laughs> like, none of the movies that were pitched in film school were about Australia. They were all based, like, they were all about like the mafia or things like that. It's like, Look to look to your own uh, backyard. Oh, I forgot to talk up boys in the trees, but um, that's an interesting one. It's just like it's set in the nineties, and it's a bunch of like boys skateboarding around at night time, and it's uh, it's it's good. I I'm gonna choose it for one month, but I won't tell you what one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll just throw out a few other titles if people want to look them up. There's like the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith is a movie I consider an absolute masterpiece. Um, there's a, it's not brilliant, but it, it's, it's really well plotted and really well scripted. It's just not brilliantly filmed. I think it was a debut feature called kiss or kill. Uh, it's a, it's a crime road movie. That's very fun. I I also wanted to bring up um beautiful Kate, even though it's not very it's not particularly good, but it's got Ben Mendelssohn in it, who apparently people like for some reason. I've seen Beautiful Kate and I do not remember it at all. But my ex girlfriend Kate made me watch Beautiful Kate. Uh and I do not remember it at all, but I think I I think I liked it. I have like a vague feeling that I liked it. That's another like incesty movie best genre there is take your pants off sit down drink some whiskey <laughs> i i feel like we completely ignored new zealand in our anzac day oh. intro there yeah, which just there. just by contrast like 
that's a country that has almost no films, but that I think has a much higher consistency of quality. Like I, I, I don't think I've ever disliked a New Zealand film. Um. Oh well, what we do in the shadows is great, and so is Housebound. Those are infinitely better than most Australian horror comedies I've seen. So, all right, should we get into it? Hey. Uh, Let's start with Dead Calm, maybe. Yeah. De- <laughs> I know what you say, but it sounds like dead calm. Dead calm. Dead calm. Dead calm. Calm. Dead calm. Alone on a sea of endless calm, it was easy to imagine they were the only two people on Earth. But into their perfect world, there came a stranger. Stand off! Tried to take her across the Pacific. On your own? No. There were six of us. Yeah, this died ten days ago. I'm going on board her. Can't do that. He's fast asleep. He won't even know. God, you're pretty. those people huh there wasn't any food poisoning what's there you think i'm making this up no i don't you sound so much like that brain it's scary dead calm a voyage into fear from the makers of the road warrior and mad max you said you'd seen dead calm before right i only saw it for the first time this year i saw it like 15 years ago on tv oh yeah so i i haven't seen it in a very very long time and I'm pretty sure a bunch of the filmmakers went to Swinburne for film school because there were posters of Dead Calm everywhere. Oh, that's cool. So you, you watched Dead Calm for the first time. Dead Calm. Uh, we are the calendar cunts and we are talking <laughs> about Dead Calm. Well, due to the assistance, I just want to give a shout out to the Aussie YouTuber Spooky Astronauts who does a lot of vid- recommendation videos on like lesser known movies in the horror and thriller genre. And she mentioned Dead Calm, and I'd never fucking heard of it, And even though it has Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman in it. I've been binging her videos since she recommended her to me. Oh, I'm so happy you like her. Yeah, she, she's great. Yeah, Dylan finds her annoying, so. Oh, she apologises way too much for her opinions, and she shouldn't. Yeah. But yeah, not just being on the internet, but being a woman on the internet and having an opinion that differs from some edgelord bro on the internet can't be fun. So, but I, uh, yeah, I was very, very surprised at how good this was. It, it's um, so it's directed by Philip Nonce. <laughs> That's actually his name, Philip Noyce. Um, yeah, it's Noyce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, he directed such movies as The Bone Collector with Angelina Jolie. And Salt, also with Angelina Jolie. 
Oh, salt. Oh, salt. I saw salt again, like on opening night in the cinema. And salt, I think I talked, I think I talked about salt on this podcast a few weeks ago. I might have cut it out. I might not have. But it is the weirdest Reds Under the Beds movie in which, like, Angelina Jolie is suspected of being a sleeper cell Russian agent in the CIA. The twist is that she is, but also everyone in the CIA is apparently a Russian agent. So, it's, so why did the plot happen? It's a, apparently just like, there are 90 Russian agents just in the CIA, which begs the question, why were they all chasing her? And why did she feel the need to hide her identity the whole time from everyone else? Um, Salt is a nuts movie. It's really bad. It's really, really bad, but it's nuts. Yeah, so it's strange you managed to make this movie that was very, very good. It's written, it's based on a book, actually. Yeah. It's very cinematic. It's, it's, it, it doesn't exactly feel like it's based on a book. Like, it, the, the sort of the two locations, I guess we should say what it's about, where a, um, it, it, it opens with Sam Neill, um, has just come, has he just come back from a war? A, battle a, a, a time in the navy right he's in it yeah, yeah he's he's in the navy, in the navy. and um he's waiting for his wife at the train station to meet him and then a couple of police officers approach him and tell him that his wife's been in a car accident and his child is dead he got fucking ko'd <laughs> why do you find child death so funny and i just was devastated for them it's because it's so you don't expect a movie to show a kid getting fucking Missiles through a field. <laughs> you expect right. to usually cut away from that, but he just goes fucking zoom. <laughs> I actually kind of forgot that we just, yeah, we do see it. Um, yeah, within the first five minutes of the movie, it's like, holy shit, this is like starting off at 100k per hour. I'm excited. But yeah, if, if there's anything that's come out from doing this podcast with you, it's it's two things. It's that you love child death scenes and you also hate coming of age movies. And I, I can only imagine that it's because it, 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 you've, you've worked with children so closely. But Jesus Christ, Matt, that, that poor kid got missiled out of a car. <laughs> he was yoked. Like, I, okay, obviously it's a very, very sad, but it's just, it's such a wild thing to happen at the very beginning of a fucking movie. Yeah, I, I had completely forgotten most of the things about this movie, other than the fact that it was sort of a, a creepy, creepy horror-ish movie set on a boat. Pretty much a home invasion movie on a boat. Yeah. Um. So, as you do, once your child dies, Sam Neill and his wife, Nicole Kidman, and... They must have had the most beautiful baby, let's be honest. It's it's even sadder that that baby died, because the baby of Sam Neill and Nicole Kidman would have been... Hot. Hot baby. A hot baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, as you do, they decide to spend, like, two weeks at sea in order to try and get over the fact that they've lost a child, which doesn't make any sense to me, but what do I know? I guess it's let's get away from work, let's get away from our friends, let's get away from everything and just yeah. work this out together. And you kind of expect it to be going in the direction of they tear each other apart. But then they come across an abandoned or a sinking boat and there is a guy that 
the moment he sees them rapidly rose towards them saying that he's been there for 10 days and uh, that everyone else on the boat is dead and is begging them for help and he is not exactly telling the truth about what happened on that boat and yeah. and yeah essentially Sam Neill gets stranded on the on the sinking boat and Nicole Kidman is stuck with the other guy uh, on their own boat sorry from Titanic it's Billy Zane from Titanic oh it is too yeah 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 so it's worth pointing out that um Nicole Kidman and um Sam Neill get to keep their respective Aussie and New Zealand accents I think Sam Neill's got a weird history I think he was like born in Australia but raised in New Zealand or something mm, so. mm. But um, Billy yeah. Zane's just American. Yeah, which in the context of this movie just makes him shit because you know he's neither Australian or New Zealand, so you know, fuck him. It's, he's immediately suspicious even before you know what's happening. It's just like, yeah, nah, fuck the sepo. Yeah, like like the moment he says that you know all the crew members died within hours of each other. It, there's he he's instantly creepy and Sam Neill's instantly right not to trust him. What he's maybe not right to do is leave Nicole Kidman on a boat exactly with him. Like, this guy's really creepy. I'm gonna abandon my wife and leave her alone. With I don't want to spoil too much of this movie because he really yeah. If if it like, if it sounds like I spoiled it at, oh, with with my spiel at the start, it's that's the setup. That is what yeah, you will exactly. find on IMDb. That is what you will find, you know, like just reading any plot synopsis on the back. And some people are annoyed even by that level of of description. But you can't talk about a movie without doing the basic setup. I I, th- I feel like it's a really good storytelling telling technique. It's not original to Dead Calm. Um, another movie that I I thought of that does it is the movie The Descent. Did you ever oh, see I The Descent? The Descent so much. Yeah, yeah, where you make a character sort of suicidally depressed but then you put them in a position where they have to fight for their lives is a really, really good storytelling technique. Lends itself to to good good storytelling and good screenwriting. Yeah, I managed to save The Descent at the cinema. Oh man, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I was like, I would have been like 14 years old, yeah, and I had no idea what it was going to be about. And, oh, in case people hadn't seen it, I went and ruined it, but I just thought it was like a... A spooky cave diving movie. I did not know. Oh man, the moment, and it only happens like fifty-five minutes in. But the moment yeah. the thing happens, it's holy oh. crap! And it, it's still re- like it, it, you know, it's it's its own other kind of horror movie until that moment. But yeah, for sure. Oh, like Christ. if you're claustrophobic, the descent is gonna like fuck you up. I came to it really late. I don't think I saw it until like a few years after it had come out but which is surprising to me because i saw dog soldiers in the cinema i still haven't seen that i it's supposed to be really good and because i love the descent so much i feel like i should watch that guy's other movies but yeah yeah look i mean it's dog soldiers and the dissenter is two two main great movies but like he's a very talented director but his other movies aren't very good they're they're very well directed they're just not very good and it's. I was really excited when he got the he he got the opportunity to direct a Hellboy movie, but the studio just wrestled that out of his hands. Like I couldn't have thought of anyone better to direct other than Guillermo del Toro, um, a Hellboy movie. And uh, yeah, I know you're not a big comic book guy, but yeah. Yeah, I I I I'll watch them maybe. 
Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy movies are awesome. So good. And Hellboy is such a great, like, creation. One of the most effective moments in this movie is the bit where Sam Neill's, like, on the the boat that um, Billy Zane just escaped from, and he's watching the video. Which reminded me of another Sam Neill movie in which he boards a ship and finds a video, Event Horizon. It's it's yeah, the same sort of conceit. Yeah. Yeah, they find, like, an Event Horizon-style video on this ship that Sam Neill has boarded, in which something's gone horribly wrong and the crew is all dead. It's the same thing. And and also, what is with Sam Neill and, um, and like, failing marriage movies as well with, um... I mean, I mean, Event Horizon's one example, but also Possession. I don't know if you ever saw Possession. I haven't. Isn't that the like seventies movie with the lady going crazy? Eighty-two, I think it is. Yeah, I don't know. Sam, Sam Neil's wife goes crazy and has sex with an octopus monster. I've been meaning to watch that one for a while. I had no idea Sam Neil was. That. I'm Sam Neil's famous for Jurassic Park, obviously. I was just trying to think of what else I've seen him in apart from. Event Horizon. I've recently watched the Red Letter Media video they did on Event Horizon, and it was very, very funny. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big. I'm not a big fan of Event Horizon, but I do have to. I do have to tell a story about it because if I owe my now going on seven plus year relationship with Loretta to Event Horizon because I had been invited to a party of a girl who I didn't very much like. And I decided that I was going to stay in. And I put on Event Horizon because I remembered loving it. And about 20 minutes in, I decided, actually, I would probably rather be at the party of the girl I don't like than continuing to watch Event Horizon. And and it wasn't because Event Horizon's awful. It just wasn't good enough to keep me staying in. And if it had been slightly better, I would have never met Loretta at that party. <laughs> So for our like fourth anniversary, I I bought it on Blu-ray. I set up our projector in our room and <laughs> made her watch Event Horizon because she had never seen it. And we both agreed, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it, it's the reason we are together. Yeah, I saw it for the first time last year, and I've heard there's always this thing on Reddit whenever people do like, what's the most fucked up scary movie that scared the shit out of you? people do threads like that people always fucking bring up event horizon and i finally watched it like okay i'll watch it like this is kind of dumb this is kind of just like the sphere which also isn't very good yeah but i, I mean i think it's because it, it played on tv a lot when people were kids and yeah. i think it like only had an m rating so people were like kids were often allowed to see it so they remember it as being super disturbing and that videotapes is really really oh, fucked yeah, up and there's apparently a lost version of Event Horizon that's really good. There's like 15 minutes of excised footage from it. Release that was all the Anderson uh, cut. It's Paul W. S. Anderson, right? Because yes. I always get him confused with the director of Paul, Boogie Nights. Paul and... <laughs> yeah, Paul S. Anderson. Yeah, it's Paul W. S. Anderson, the director of the Resident Evil movie. The first... Yeah. I know he did the first one, I don't know if he did the other ones, but <laughs> I want to make it clear, I don't get his movies confused with the director of Boogie yeah. Nights. I just oh, yeah, get their I, names no, confused. Yeah, I'm not like, saying. yeah, yeah, Boogie Nights and Phantom Thread and Event Horizon. What a career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to get back to dead, dead comfort. Uh, I think seeing with the videotapes is chilling. Like, it's so much scarier than Event Horizon because it could really fucking happen in real life. There's probably creepy porno guys 
filming things in international waters and killing like models on boats like you're a snuff film truther you think yeah oh it freaked me out so much and again middle of the day boyfriend sitting next to me and i'm like freaking the fuck out Oh yeah, no, it, it's a really terrifying movie and, and one of my favourite genres is survival horror And I really loved how much It's There are two different horror stories playing out One is, you know, the home invasion on the boat And the other is Sam Neill trying to survive On a sinking boat And I loved the attention to detail To do that, where he bursts a pipe open That he knows leads to the upper deck So that he can breathe through it Whilst he's underwater Yeah, yeah, like He just, you, you totally get that he knows his stuff as he says he's spent 25 years at sea and it's utterly believable that he would survive this situation and i love the attention to detail that they that they have for that i also liked that nicole kidman's character isn't i mean she's definitely in you know in a hell of a lot of danger and she's not this kick-ass character for which the the villain has no chance against but she does everything in her power to survive even stuff that i think some people might find a bit insulting um like the length the length she goes to it it doesn't dumb down any of the characters it doesn't make it easy for them the the one gripe i might have is that occasionally the main villain uh, billy zane's character he he just like he go he flips on a dime in, in really illogical ways. And they kind of get away with that because he is so deluded and utterly insane. But he goes from not trusting Nicole Kidman to trusting her completely on a dime and then back and forth like that in ways that are very convenient for the plot that I didn't find very believable. But you can suspend your disbelief because they do a very good job of setting up just how unhinged he is. I think it's worth pointing out, I think Nicole Kidman was like 19 in this movie. She was very, very young. Oh my god. I, I had such a crush on her in this movie, which now sounds really creepy. But just just not from the way she looks, purely from the way she says things. Like, her, her voice is so fucking cute in this movie. <laughs> Everything she says is so adorable. I guess that's how I know I'm heterosexual because I don't think of shit like that. I, I, <laughs> I, I was like, I, I kept thinking, if I didn't know that was Nicole Goodman, I wouldn't fucking recognise her because her hair is all curly. And, and yeah, now that I know how fucking young she was, because I was like, I don't think it's the first movie she did, but she's incredibly young. But That's astounding if she's 19. Like, it's a... It's a yeah, but... Regardless, it's a very mature performance. It's a very assured performance. She is incredible in this movie. Oh, she's 20. Okay, so she wasn't 19. Yeah, yeah. That could be a difference of days. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Like, I kind of... I I wish she did, like, used her normal accent in more things, because I don't know if you ever saw that miniseries, um, Pretty Little Lies. Is that mm. what's called? Yeah, just being American in that, and I, I caught her accent slipping up quite a few times, and it was just like, just let her be Australian. Rebel Wilson and Rose Byrne get to be Australian in things. Just let Nicole Kidman be Australian. I I really loved the use of um sound in the movie, uh, where it it frequently like, and it, uh, there's another movie that 
uh, we'll talk about later that does this, but it um, it sort of mutes the background noise and makes things like voices and breathing very very loud in comparison, and and like it feels like those voices and that breathing could travel forever on that endless ocean. I didn't notice it in Dead Calm, but again, that was one I didn't because I saw it like a month ago. I didn't rewatch it. Well. They they don't just do that. They also the the soundtrack also yes. okay, frequently has has like yeah 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 has like heavy breathing and you can't tell quite whether or not that like I mean they 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 time it perfectly to the characters heavily breathing as well. But yeah, they have this very weird, very vocal, very heavy breathing uh, soundtrack as well as doing and they do it both diegetic and non diegetic. I think uh, I just wanted to mention the movie Triangle again because that's another like boat horror movie, and um, I know you mentioned off mic once you didn't like Harpoon, but I thought Harpoon was another. Go- no, I liked Harpoon. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah, I think that's a good like entry into the pantheon of like boat horror movies. There aren't many I can think of. Knife sea in the Water by by Roman Polanski and Sea Fever. Yeah, Sea Fever was a. It was good. I didn't realise it was going to be a monster movie. For some reason, I thought it was going to be more like people going crazy and turning against each other. So I was... It's drawn a lot of comparisons to The Thing, so I also thought it was like a a parasite infection type movie rather than a full-on... You didn't like Sea Fever? It was was all right. I didn't... It was was decent. It was good. I don't know if I'm going to recommend it to people or rush out and watch it again, but... Ah, I I really liked it. I, the ocean is just inherently horrifying, so... As is yeah. Dead Calm. Yeah, Dead, dead Calm is really fucking good. It's, I'm deliberately... I can see you laughing every time I say it. I'm deliberately doing it now. It's Dead yes. Calm. Yeah, it's a good, like... You know why? Because their baby died. And that's essentially just Dead Calm. Take that, you stupid baby. Be a parasite on my womb, will you? It would be very, very upsetting if they'd already built up the characters. It's not that it being literally within the first five minutes of the movie, it was very funny. The rest of the movie is like horrifying, and I guess. I think that's horrifying. I mean, you laughed during the pet cemetery thing, and we both laughed during the resurrection child death, but. Wait, I, I I genuinely find the death of children in movies to be really upsetting. Yeah, if you like nineties, um, like the creepy thrillers, watch Dead Come. Dead Come. Uh, Dead Come. Okay, so it's on my go, right? I watched uh, Razorback. Ah, uh, right, I was but... doing my vocal fry because I know yeah, everyone yeah. on the internet loves vocal fry. <laughs> Somewhere in the Australian outback, he's waiting. Something big scared him away. Like what? I don't know. But it was huge. As big as a rhino. Jake Cullen, the obsessed hunter, determined to stop it. to come to the water hole to drink. Jake, get some help. Andy, No, he's mine. Beth, 
headquarters. Animal campaigner? And dumped at the pet pack cannery eight miles west of here. The American animal campaigner, who got more than the story she bargained for. She wasn't very popular around here. What'd you do to my wife, Benny? And the crazed brothers who protected their own secrets at all costs. You ask too many bloody questions, you know that? Do you know what happened to her? Razorbacks. Carl Winters searching for the answers. Godless vermin. He's only got two states of being. Dangerous or dead. That boar destroyed his life. Now, listen, Bill, you're in the middle of bugger all here, so for Christ's sake, don't go walk about. We'll never find you. And we'll be back in five or six hours. Gregory Harrison in his first major motion picture, running for his life. If you're going to do it, just bloody do it. Hello? Come on, man! Save me! You finished the kangaroos! Save me! Produced by Hal McElroy from Australia's hottest new director, Russell Mulcahy. Razorback. He's only got two states of being. Dangerous or dead. Razorback. This movie is about a um, a giant pig. We're talking about fifteen times larger than your average pig. It's uh, the size of like a small bear. Oh, a big bear! Like no, are you kidding? It's oh, huge. It's huge. Oh, that, that animatronic is ooh, good. Um, but it it eats a baby at the start, and the grandfather of the baby is has done nothing but kill pigs ever since, hoping to find the pig that killed his grandson um, and clear his name because no one believes him and everyone makes fun of him, much like the dingo ate my baby. Uh, and and this pig then eventually just goes on a, a rampaging killing spree in this backwater town in buttfuck nowhere in Australia. And it's it's sort of meant to be Australia's Jaws. And I think it kind of earns that. It's so well made. It is super well fucking made. I don't want to sound like a snowflake, but I would really appreciate a heads up when I'm about to watch a movie with a bunch of dead fucking animals in it. I, okay, so it was very, very good at times. I, again, when that kid gets, like, taken away by the, the pig at the beginning. Alright, alright, no, we, we bond on this. We bond on this. Yeah. The the opening scene with the kid dying is astounding and hilarious. <laughs> so fucking because it's like the entire house gets destroyed and the kid is just gone how fucking weak are these houses made out of like i know this movie is from like what 84 or something but well it's a giant it's a giant fucking pig there's a movie there's a movie called the car about a haunted car it's like it's jaws with a car and um there's an identical scene where someone is like running away from the car. They're on the phone. They're trying to call the call for help. And the car just bulldozes its way through their home and wipes them out. And it's the exact same scene as in the opening of Razorback. I like that, but 
is it Gremlin? The first Gremlins movie where the guy's house just gets the car yeah, just yeah. goes through it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, um, look what yeah. you said about about like animal slaughter. I I get, and I'm vegetarian. Loretta's vegan. You're a pretend vegetarian because you eat chicken <laughs> and fish. You just don't like blood, red meat. I, I guess. Or... Yeah, I don't like seeing dead animal corpses. Like it, it really upsets. <laughs> First, I I have I have a no problem with it at all. I don't mind seeing how a sausage gets made, because I don't eat the sausage. You can quote me on that. I don't eat the sausage. Alright, alright. I might have eaten the sausage, but I never saw how the sausage got made. Even even in this movie, I'm like, look lady, you do not come down to a town where the only economy is meat, and judge them for eating meat. You fucking moron. I agree with that. Like, I watched this with Dylan, and when she was like, oh, what do you say about the fact that kangaroos are going extinct? Dylan was like, there's no fucking way kangaroos <laughs> ever went extinct in Australia. And, no, yeah. no, it's called culling. There's a reason that we're, we're trying to offload them as meat. It's because there are there's so damn many of them. Yeah, and like, um, even I thought she was a big dipshit. Like and I guess she's she's sort of meant to be portrayed as that. They don't they don't they don't satirize her nearly as much as they satirize pretty much everyone else in this movie. But I don't think we're ever. I think we are meant to see her as misguided. Being vegetarian and being being vegan is is as I I would never ever ever go to I know some small city in Kenya where they entirely rely on agriculture and be like, you guys are wrong for killing oxen and zebus. And uh, it's just like utterly ill-advised. I've met vegetarians and vegans like that, and I find it so annoying. And so does Loretta. Thank fuck. Um, like, like, yeah, I found it ridiculous that she was doing that. And I was like... I just, yeah, I just personally hate seeing dead animals, even though I know it's usually all fake. I just hate seeing animals get killed in movies. I love seeing in 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 Razorback. In Razorback, a lot of it's not fake. It's just that it, it's oh, so this it's was from actual corpses. I was looking at. Oh, that, yeah, I think so. I think so. But they were then then used for meat, and kangaroo meat is like yeah. a. It's fine. I just find it fucking disgusting. Like I don't want to look at it. It's gross <laughs> yeah it is gross yeah. but yeah yeah, yeah. I, I no know. no i agree it's gross it's also though like it's like that's you know it, I, it's no more gross to me than just walking through the butcher aisle yeah and i hate that that's the reason i stopped eating red meat once when i was 12 like um i guess this is different laws or something but in italy i saw like a entire cow that was skinned just like hanging on a butcher's hook, like just in the middle of a fucking like. Yeah, Italy will do that. Yeah, and it it made me cry. Like I just broke down crying. I was like eleven or twelve years old, and I was like, I'm never gonna eat red meat again. And I have by accident a couple of times, but yeah, it fucked me up for life. And I just don't want to see dead animals. Or so. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it it's weird. It, yeah, okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll do that. I'll do that from now no, like on. I, I you mean, you fucking out. snowflake. 
I used to have my nail because every fucking horror movie has to do it to be edgy. Oh, look, we should have don't get killed. I know. No, but I mean, often that's fake, whereas something like Hunter Hunter has actual skinned rabbits and, and things like oh, that. Oh, I didn't and... even know that. I'm of course they're sad. actual. Why, why would you make it? Like, you can't do a good fake rabbit if you're going to... They then eat it. It's like, it's no different to... I am no more against animals dying in movies than I am for them dying for agriculture because it's the same damn thing. They All those rabbits got eaten, all those pelts got used. I'm not going to use them. I'm not going to participate. But I can't... I can't be more against that than I am against farming. Yeah, but, like, it's a thing that that rabbit probably wouldn't have been killed had it not been the movie being made. I, I don't know, I'm not going to get into this. Yeah, but some rabbit would have been saved by the fact that someone eats that rabbit instead of eating a different rabbit, you know? I just... It all comes from local farms and stuff like that. It, it... Yeah, I don't know. It's just... And rabbits are such a pest. Rabbits are such a pest that I'm, I'm, I'm all for culling. Like, I, I am genuinely all for culling. Um, um, anyway, I did want to point out. So you, I didn't, I forgot to actually look this up. Was the whole plot line of the granddad being blamed for the baby getting killed by the Razorback? Is that based on the what's her name, Lindsay, Lindy Chamberlain? Yeah. So, so, so it's 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 very very much based on the Dingo's got my baby. Which um, which by the way, like the Dingo's got my baby is a joke phrase in Australia and and everywhere in America too and it is horrifying to me because this poor fucking woman had her baby eaten by a dingo and then was put on trial for murder and it's a joke phrase that this mother in anguish cried the dingo's got my baby and i think all over the world, people just think the word dingo is funny. But imagine if in America, the same thing happened with a wolf. And we all in Australia mocked, oh, the wolf's got my baby. The wolf ate my baby. Yeah, it's like, it could be like making fun of like, um, fucking, what's her name? Casey Anthony for joking, uh, for lying and saying, oh, can I get sued for that? Allegedly saying. Nah, I, I want to get sued. Let's get sued. Then, That's just notoriety. We don't have any money. Fuck it. She she most likely killed her fucking baby. And she then, killed her baby. Yeah, exactly. And then blamed a fake nanny for it. And, and anyway, this story, this woman's baby actually did get eaten by dingoes. So I think it's fucked that people make jokes about them too. Oh, it is just the, it is a humorous catchphrase both here and overseas. And it boggles my mind. Like it would, it would make complete sense to me if it found if if we found out she had been lying or something. Even then, it's still pretty grim. But it would be like grim humor. Um, the fact that a dingo actually did fucking eat um, Azaria Chamberlain is fucking horrifying. Um, and yeah, and and yeah. So th- this movie is entirely entirely. You know, riffing on that, especially with the opening yeah. with a, a razorback, and for people who don't know, a razorback is a type of hog. Um, I actually though didn't know before I saw a razorback that Australia even had a, a hog problem. Yeah, me either. 
uh, like apparently there's well over a hundred thousand of them. They are this pest species like rabbits. Piggy wiggies. Yeah, yeah, we have horrible little piggy wiggies running around in like Queensland and stuff, and I, I just never knew. I've lived here my whole life and we I never knew. I think it's worth pointing out this movie was filmed in Broken Hill, which is a small town in New South Wales, I believe, or South Australia. Fuck, I don't remember. I think it's I think it's Queensland, isn't it? It's one of the ones I uh, no, I I mean I thought the film was set in Queensland, oh. but uh possibly it, i know i looked it up it was filmed in broken hill which is a city in new south wales i mean the movie is so oh wait no sorry the movie the movie is so hateful about back towns that i can completely understand them making up a town rather than singling out any given town um i think it's also worth pointing out there is an actor in this movie named john howard and for those who don't know that is the name of one of our pri- former prime ministers Anyone around me and Marcus's age, he would have been the Prime Minister when we were in, like, primary school. Oh, yeah, but the movie was made in, what, 1984, so... Yeah, exactly. So there's just some dude named John Howard, and, like, what's the chances of there being... I mean, it's two very basic man names, but the fact that he's also Australian is the funniest part. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, again, I've never, you know, it's not so common that I've ever met another John Howard or seen yeah, another yeah. John Howard character in a movie or a book. I I love I love the depiction of Australia, though, in this movie. I posted on our Twitter feed a still of the camel eating the Coke can. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I wrote that down. Camel eats Coke can. The courtroom at the start when the grandfather is put in trial for his uh, grandson's death is basically just, like, in a schoolhouse and the jury is just filled with hicks who are utterly not impartial. All the people in the slaughterhouses are wearing floral shirts for some reason. Their outfits are fucking wild. I wrote so many amazing floral shirts. And the fact that, like, this main, like, fuckwit guy who I think looks a bit like Rick from The Young Ones... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote that his name is Dickhole, but I don't think his name is Dickhole. It's something that just sounds like that. Yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't help you there. Um, I, I, I don't have that in front of me. I just remember when he showed up and they're like chasing down the woman and the guy's like going like, yeah, Dylan's, I wrote his exact words because it made me laugh so much. He said, oh, no matter where you go in Australia, guys have those rat fuck friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 they are, they are by far the most annoying characters in the movie. Everyone else is, like, still, like, satirical and a bit of a caricature, but they are just, like, Beavis and Butthead yeah, or exactly. um, just... Dumb and Dumber. They are just so obnoxiously awful that that is way too like um easy on them they were i hated them so much and so much of the movie focuses on them i think that's why i had trouble enjoying the movie because these guys are such horrible pieces of shit they're the sort of guys you'd see at the bus stop who would like harass teenage girls and smoke on the bus and not wear shoes and just be like hey love where you going (laughs) Yeah, like, they're just fucking, yeah, rat, rat shit, fuck. 
faces. Yeah, but like again, like everything, everything horrible in this movie is sort of also darkly it's so funny. Crude. They are so horrible, and what happens to them is sort of horrible, but is also really darkly funny. Like the scene where one of them falls down a well is so fucking funny. Oh, um, even, even, even this the scene where they rape someone is. I mean, that's super dark and horrible. But there's something really darkly funny about the way it's written. Do you want to make love? How's your French kissing? And that that sort of thing is every, and and the baby dying and and you know all, all of that is it's all super dark and and super horrible. But there's this really funny tone to all of it. And yet the movie isn't isn't an out and out comedy. It's it's really quite brutal and dark and, and well yeah it's an exploitation film for sure like you made me realize that like it's weird seeing so this movie's from like what 93 90 no 83 84 like, the australian accents in these movies are the ones who are like us we would probably probably only ever hear them in older australian people and it's even hard to do it you kind of did it well then the people who kind of talk like this and oh yeah Got a Razorback. Yeah, the Razorbacks. There's nothing worse than a Razorback. Yeah, pretty yeah. much like that. It's like you don't hear that accent anymore among younger people. It's weird seeing those like dipshit 20-year-olds with mullets because it's the 80s. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. timey Australian accent. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, I've now, in the past like three years, spent enough time in Outback backwater towns and the population of 50 where everyone's fucking their sister uh to uh to be able to do that accent well uh, where i am in rise you just hear people like oh yeah fuck oh yeah shit i can't even do it right like no they're more more just crass rather than just like uh like there's there's something like a um a hundred yard stare there's something like a hundred yard stare about the old timey Aussie accent of like, oh yeah, you stay in the outback long enough and you become the outback. Yeah. Rather than, you know, it's, rather than, it's... fuck my badge. <laughs> it's still vaguely British sounding. And now the dipshit bogans you hear now. Or... Oh, it's got a lot in common with Cockney. Cockneys, yeah. English and slang, yeah. Yeah, and but now the dipshit bogans are here just sound like oh, I can't even do it right, and we're gonna get accused of being classist against bogans, but I mean, as long oh, as fuck them, what are they going to do? They can't even afford the iPhone to listen to this on, motherfuckers. There's amazing sound design. In it, like the music is really, really good, and the cinematography is excellent. Like all the beautiful, like lights coming through with all the smoke and clouds and stuff. Like it looks. I like think, light. I think it's as good as what Spielberg was doing. The movie isn't as good as Jaws, but the cinematography and the filmmaking is as good and as innovative as what Spielberg was doing in his early career when he made Jaws. Like the editing and, and like that there's a scene early on where it cuts like from a close up of a crow to a wide shot in a pan that I don't even know how you begin to do that shot. 
there's this surrealist dream sequence in the outback which is like something out of 2001 a space odyssey and the the scenes of the pig attacking people are insane and crazily intense I love the bit where the dude, the, there's like two scenes, but I think it's the second scene where the guy's like inexplicably drinking Fosters for some reason. But then he's like watching his TV and then the Razorback like comes and like pulls half his house away and his TV just gets taken away. And, and he's so sad. He's so yeah. sad. That bit fucking kills me. Like I wish the movie was just a bit more funny and a bit less grim. I guess, but that's that problem I have with Australian movies that the tonal shift sometimes is just too jarring for me. And I like movies with like bizarre tonal shifts. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's it's not like it's not a, a progression of tonal shifts where it starts as one thing and ends as one thing. It's from scene to scene, even moment to moment. Yeah, it will change exactly. from comedy to outright horror. And it, it, it also, like, this movie pulls no punches. Like, I was surprised frankly fucking flawed three times by the by the characters that this movie is willing to just kill off and as early as it kills them off like yeah like i i was very i feel like i would have liked the movie better if the grandpa was the main character i didn't really give a shit about this american guy mm, and yeah fact, and the fact they kill off or oh, his romance old grizzled grandpa avenging his grandson and killing the pig and the fact that he dies too like that really upset well, yeah that's one of the scenes that fucking floored me that yeah. like i was just like he's dead now jesus fucking it's christ just too, it's just a bit too grim for me and yet kind of hysterically funny yeah oh there's some great bit yeah like the guy getting lower down in the well because that character was such a dipshit I was like, I just happened. I I even love the the dugout in like this giant underground lair that they <laughs> hang out in. Yeah, they've got like a fucking like cyberpunk. I don't even know what to call it. It's just like, well, it's a dugout, but it's a hyper dugout. And I don't think I don't think non Australians really know what a dugout is. But yeah, it's. It's like in Cooperpedia or something where they have to live underground because it's too fucking hot. Yeah, yeah, it's like Australia's version of igloos. But yeah, you, you, you dig a, you dig a little fucking cavern underground. It's it's sort of like a bomb shelter, but just held up by brick and mortar rather than uh, not not sorry, held up by like sticks and and stones yeah. rather than like 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 fucking cement. But it has the aesthetic of like like gutter punk criminals in like something like the crow oh like their, their, like, their one is weird. ludicrous yeah it looks like one of those warehouses that you find yeah like the junkies in the movie like that hanging yeah out. but it's a yeah yeah ground. yeah absolutely I, so yeah. I really hoped that the pig would have actually raised the little boy i was hoping he would come back as like a feral child that got raised by the pig well, there is. I, I I sent you a link to a movie called Pandemonium about what if Azaria Chamberlain, for those who don't know, the the uh, baby who was eaten by a dingo. What if instead she was raised by dingoes? Uh, there is a movie about that. It's a musical. It's very weird, and it's uh, I, I I it's not a classic, but it's a definitely an exploitation movie. 
it's weird how much of a vision this movie seems to have for what is essentially an exploitation movie about a killer pig picking off undeserving rape victims. Well, I'm actually looking up the other, because I realise we never mentioned the director or the writer's names. The director is named Russell... No, yeah, yeah, it's, it's the director of Resurrection! It's the director of Resurrection! <laughs> oh, the great Australian film Resurrection. He also did Resident Evil Extinction, which is like the... And he did Highlander! He did Highlander! And, and, and he did... King 2. Oh my god, this is my new favourite director of all time, because that is such a weird, varied career. Like, I can get Scorpion King 2 and Resident Evil, but how do you get that from Highlander? And then how do you get Highlander to Resurrection, except for obviously the Christopher Lambert connection? But then that he made probably the best exploitation movie ever made. Okay, Speaking of which, I didn't know this. One of the writers, Everett DeRoche, also wrote Long Weekend, Road Games, and Patrick, which are oh my that keep meaning to watch. God, oh my god! It's only one of the writers. So the other writer, Peter Brennan, only wrote this movie. <laughs> Is it In that case, he was probably like a a, a studio uh, yeah. a, a studio head son and and got a writer credit. But I don't think it's based on a book. I don't yeah, think it's based on a book. If something's based on a book and then they listen oh, to Oh, yeah, you writer. get a, yeah, a yeah, writing credit. Um, yeah, this, yeah. I could it. not believe when I found out that this was the same director as Resurrection. <laughs> and how unabashedly I love Resurrection, even though I know Resurrection is rubbish. It's utter shite. But I really, really like it. And, and, and same with Highlander. Highlander, utter shite. But I really, really like it. And Razorback is somehow his absolute masterpiece. A movie about a giant killer pig in Australia. Well, I think I heard that that animatronic costs like $25,000 or something wild like that. That's actually a lot cheaper than I would have thought. Like, I would have thought that would take up most of the budget. Okay, it's not. It wasn't twenty five thousand dollars. It was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. No, I believe that completely, and and I doubt that's adjusted for inflation, which makes it more like one point seven million dollars. I mean, worth it. It's a good looking pig puppet. I will. It's an guess, amazing pig puppet. I'm always team puppets over team CGI. Oh, my one short film that I never actually finished because of drama at Swinburne. Um, but involved a bunch of puppets, so I got to work with a puppeteer, and it was the best thing in my life. Like she, she was so, like I was. I wanted to create. It was a poltergeist who makes monsters out of things in a kid's room, and my ideas were were quite bland. And like I sort of explained to her though the concept, and she was like, "No, no, your ideas are shit. Let me take over this." And she just created the best monsters. She created like a dragon with like a um like a flapping book mouth and this giant like uh, like it had uh toy soldiers that turned into wings. And it was it was crazy. It was insane. Uh, what movie are we doing next, by the way? Well, so it's what. I watched of your picks next, right? Which is Mr. Nice Guy. 
Welcome to What's Cooking Tonight. Anybody hungry? Television's most popular star. Who is that guy? Is not what you'd expect. I know that guy. He's a gentle soul. I know you. He's... Jackie. You're a nice guy. Mr. Nice Guy. But if you make the mistake... I don't even know her! ...of getting him mad... ...you'd better get out of his way. Now, Jackie Chan proves to the world Nice guys, finish first. Where Jackie Chan is, and I quote, Melbourne's favourite chef. And as he's walking home, holding a bunch of groceries, he bumps into a woman who is a news reporter who has just been filming a drug deal between two gangs. And... They saw her, they're chasing after her. Jackie Chan saves her life in like a 20-minute kung fu sequence, which is incredible. And then Jackie Chan somehow winds up with the tape, but then loses the tape, and so the drug gang are going after the both of them. I think that Jackie Chan puts Charlie Chaplin... Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Max Linder, Jacques Tati, all of the great slapstick artists combined to fucking shame. And that is not to denigrate the talents of those uh, comedians, because they are all amazing. Jackie Chan is just somehow worlds apart from them. Yeah, it's so fucking funny. It's... I don't know. His physical know. comedy is amazing. Well, all Jackie Chan movies are, are funny, but like, like that, his physical comedy is just insanity and so well choreographed and so dangerous and so uh, it it's just it boggles my mind. Uh, I, I, how many Jackie Chan movies do you think you've seen? Like um, a bunch. Not many actually. I've seen this one, which was due to Dylan's insistence. He said it was very, very good, and I agreed. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm high. He's higher up in my estimation all the time. It has a really low IMDb rating. It's not very well regarded as one of Jackie Chan's good movies. And look, I mean, like he's made masterpieces, like Drunken Master Two. But um, I think it's so. We've probably mentioned this on the podcast before. We're both from Melbourne. Seeing a movie that was not only filmed in Melbourne but set in Melbourne is just delightful. And set in. Early 2000s moment where there's a scene where Jackie Chan beats someone's head into a sign for Off Your Tree, which no longer yes. exists. Off no, Your it Tree. Does. It no, does? Off Your Tree still. It does. I was on that the store. That store. That. Like that. A of days okay. Ago. Okay. They might have gone <laughs> online, but the, the, the store on Swanston Street no longer exists. Um, sure it might still do, but that sentence my notice I think it does still exist, but. That, that doesn't make that any less funny, though. I don't think it does, because because what happened was that Australia went hard against banning bongs. And I'm pretty sure Off Your Tree 
like had to take off all of their physical stores as a result of that. They could no longer oh, afford the I upkeep. I feel like I went to one in the last like couple of years. I'm trying to think. It you said early two thousands. This movie is from like ninety seven, I believe. Oh, I thought it was like two thousand and four. It is ninety seven. Okay. All right. All right. All right. But like, still like. I mean, that would have been a couple of years before I first came to Melbourne from Perth. Um, oh, fuck. I think I did not realise you were not born here. Yeah, I was born in Perth. Oh, yep. Dylan was also born in Perth. It, it took me back to, you know, like, that That Melbourne hasn't hadn't changed for, like, a, a good six, seven-year period. Like, those trams were the same when I first arrived here, and the horse carriages. I mean, you still see the horse carriages in, in Melbourne. And, like, and, and, and that off-your-tree was there. I'm pretty sure that, oh, that particular off-your-tree is gone. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that particular off-your-tree is now gone. And I feel like, regardless of whether it's gone or not, they would have been delighted to have their store sign destroyed for a Jackie Chan movie. The the owner would have just blazed it and gone like, (laughs) of course, man, Jackie Chan can do whatever he fucking likes to my store. Does he want to, do you just want to fight in my entire store and just break everything? Does he want to smash some of my bongs over people's heads? Like, like, Oh, I'm trying to think of how to start. Okay, so in this movie, Jackie Chan is a celebrity chef on TV with, um... It reminded me so much of The Iron Chef, which I used to watch all the time. Um, You watch The Iron Chef? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the Futurama episode that parodies it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so he's a celebrity chef with, like, home brand... Frank Cosworth. That's what's his name, right? Frank Cosworth. The Futuskrai. Yeah, 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 yeah. Frank Cosworth. Yeah, so he does chefing stuff, and then there is a woman who's a news reporter who films a drug deal gone wrong, and then they accidentally bump into each other, and he helps beat up the drug dealers, but then their VHS tapes get mixed up, and she ends up with the VHS tape of his cooking show, and he ends up with the one of the drug dealers. Well, well, one of his friend's children ends up with the yeah. VHS tape, um, and and, and so they. Yeah, no, you go on. You sorry, yeah. Oh, I was you just gonna say I think it's so strange that okay, so the movie is filmed in Melbourne, set in Melbourne, a lot of the actors in it are Australian, but Jackie Chan obviously is Oh my god, I don't want to call him Chinese if he's from Hong Kong. I think he's from Hong Kong. But yeah, okay, he he might be from China. I, I so, I'm not sure. So. I know a lot of the movies he made uh, are in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um so yeah. Jackie Chan's just being himself with his regular accent. Then his friend, who's a police officer, is American, or at least an Australian guy doing an American accent. A bunch of the thugs are randomly American as well. And then, no, they're not. They are. There's one of them that's, again, they sound like Australian people doing American accents for no reason. But one of the... I, think I feel like you're so wrong on this. No, no, they are no. so... I feel like they're American people trying to do Australian accents. Their Australian accents oh, were okay. so weird that... Oh, I I I thought I thought they were probably foreign actors because they're just like, look, we gotta get the fucking tape and fucking get it from Jackie because he's called Jackie in the yes. fucking movie. So I think he's playing himself, but I just still think it's so weird that he's playing himself, but as a master chef, um, it's it's very very odd. 
Yeah, I, I have never heard anyone in Melbourne sound the way any of the characters in this movie sound like. And and what we were talking about before with um foreign directors, because it's a Hong Kong director who's directed Jackie Chan in a lot of movies. What I was saying before about how... Hong. Yeah, Sammo Hong. Um, what, what I was saying before about how either they don't know the culture well enough or they don't know or a combination of the two they don't know the what sounds like an actual performance there are just bizarre moments in this movie that just defy all explanation that like sure it, it's very much a foreign movie made in australia where like for example the news reporter is hijacked through the streets of carlton through Ligon Street across all the yeah, Italian restaurants. Was quite, it was Ligon Street. Yeah, it's definitely Ligon Street. And and she just strips nude in front of them, and then everyone in the Italian restaurants gets up and applauds. And then she runs away. And clever of her. It's a, she's like it, no, it, yeah, it's again, it's it's sort of clever. It's just not at all what anyone would ever do. And I'm not even sure it would work if you're being kidnapped to just strip naked in front of the street, yell at a bunch of people, and then run away. I think I think those people would probably just have knocked her out and put her in a car. It it's it's very it's very odd. That whole that whole scene is really odd. Really entertaining. Don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not criticizing the movie, but it's it's very it's very much a very, very foreign perspective of, well, this might happen in this culture. I don't know. Like, I don't I don't think Sammo Hung knew how weird that scene was when he directed it. Yeah, oh, I, I think it's brilliant, though. It's such a good idea, because she's, like, wearing a bright pink, like, raincoat, and she's getting kidnapped through the streets, and, they, and then she just pretend because they pretty much stole her from her house when she was naked, or in her underwear, so she just pretends to be a prostitute, and so I'm like, oh, you men, you can't wait to see what you paid for, and then just opens up her rig. Those people in the street are going to remember her because of that, and then when the police come looking for her... But that, okay, okay, but, but that never even crossed my mind, because that never comes up again later, where people are witnesses to that event. I don't think that was the intention... Right? Yeah, but I don't think that was the intention of the scene. Uh, because it's very, very clever. No, in real life, that's kind of clever. But I don't think that was the intention of the scene because it never comes up later that they're like, well, we have witnesses because she made such a scene. It's more just, I'm going to make a scene to baffle you and then I'm going <laughs> to run away. It's not the best Jackie Chan's ever done, but it is up there. It's it's really good. like and and I when I say it's not the best, it's only because I'm thinking of things like Drunken Master 2, where he literally breathes fire and, and things like that. But um pretty much all the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies made by Asian directors. Speaking of like Cyborg and I feel like Double Team might be another one that was probably a foreign director. Hard target. Yeah oh of course hard target, yeah. They're hard targets. Uh, one of my favorite lines from the from the movie was when a bunch of uh, the demons, which are the the gang, um, they leave they leave their boss's house and they say, 
He keeps his house so clean you can't even fart. <laughs> Again, I like to think it's like like this is not how Australians talk. I, I think I think I think Americans think Australians talk this way, and some Australians talk this way. But it's like really not. Yeah, no, it's it's super it's super awkward, it's super um stereotypically Australian. But it's not your everyday Australian language. And, and this movie's just sort of filled with lines like that and bits like that, where every Australian is hyper-Australian. And Melbourne is often looked down upon for being, like, the opposite of that, for sort of being too hipster, for being, you know, a bit sort of, like, we don't talk like that here. We, we order lattes. Cafe lattes, as we like well, to call them. If we had that reputation in the 90s... Maybe we didn't. Maybe we didn't. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear from some older people who know knew Melbourne back then. And went to off your tree. Well, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of the demons, the main guy who's just kept either kept his American accent or it's an Aussie guy putting on an American accent, he is wearing a fedora, speed dealer sunnies, and Hawaiian shirts all throughout the movie. And these characters just look like creator characters in Saints Row or something. They're just or the war the Warriors, which I've never seen, but like yeah, it's just a bunch of people. Oh, you haven't seen the Warriors? No, I I keep meaning to. Oh man. Oh man, oh man. Warriors come out to play. Warriors come out to play. Warriors come out to play. Sorry, I had to do that. Plus Someone will appreciate that on the podcast. Someone I will see it, it one day. Isn't it a famous director who did, did that again? Walter Hill. It's Walter Hill. Oh, okay, never mind. It's who wrote true. Alien? No, he oh. he is a famous oh. director. He, he wrote Alien. He you know, he made. He is one of the most influential American directors of all time. Um, is. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I th- another thing I can maybe compare it to is The Lost Boys. He did a musical, by the way. Walter Hill did a musical called Streets of Fire, which is amazing, and you got to watch it. I just want to mention my favourite part, where Jackie Chan, like, hides in this um, fellow, like, Asian guy's ice cream van. The guys come running after him and is like, have you guys seen a Chinese guy? And then the guy's like, yeah, me! That <laughs> is... It's just very, very funny. But then he immediately sells him out, which isn't very good. I also love the bit where he crashes the giant, like, polyamorous biker wedding. And yep. it's like the, gi- the giant balloon of, is it a gorilla or a panda? I can't remember what it is. I don't remember either. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they shoot it. But but yeah, yeah, it's like. Don't ever fuck with a biker wedding. I, I actually kind of was a little disappointed in that sequence because I hoped that there would be more biker violence where the bikers would just, like, go against drug dealers. Um, oh, it's worth pointing out that um, he has a, yeah, a fiancé that he, who he meets at the airport and then she's kind of just... I feel like... I she's so shit. Yeah, I feel like this probably isn't the case, but it feels like something that the studio did was like uh, she he was supposed to fall in love with the the white um, 
journalist and they i feel like they'd be like well we can't have interracial relationships we need him to ship in a chinese woman well because i got the feeling that they were kind of trying to push that he was also meant to fall in love with the african-american woman whose relationship to the other characters i'm not even really sure of but like very early on she's asking him out she says what does she have that i don't have and and is saying, you know, why don't you date me? And that's why I said before, like, like there's that weird line that he says we work together and we eat together. Yeah, I thought that was supposed to be the wife of the American police. No, she's not married because she's asking Jackie Chan out. Ah, okay, I'm very... It, it's really, it's really odd. So I feel like there are a number of studio notes about, like, he should have a romantic relationship with the Japanese person, the black person, and the white person. I'm going to point out she's not Japanese, she's Chinese. But... All right, Chinese. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I... no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because they, it's interesting. I I'm going to edit out me getting yeah. that wrong so that I'm no longer a racist. I know what you're saying now, but my favourite, I, I say every part's my favourite part, but him, like, running down all the escalators in Melbourne Central. Oh my god, the Melbourne Central scene is astounding, where he where he flips food from a knife into people's mouths is one of the best things that Jackie Chan has ever done. Like, I, I do not know how they did that. It's amazing when he does the chilli into one of the gangsters' yeah. mouths. That's amazing. But then the whole run through Melbourne Central, under the clock, through the escalators... Astounding, astounding. How how have I never even heard of this movie? How is this movie just not talked about by every Australian? Yeah, exactly. I'd only heard about it because Dylan brought it up with me and he got it wrong. He told me, oh yeah, that's the scene where he runs down the escalators of Parliament. And I was like, that would have been kind of cool seeing him go. That would be even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) But the Melbourne Central ones are still very, very good. Um, This is probably my favourite bit of trivia from um, Internet Movie Database. Um, because of the mess they left behind from the demolished house, the production company was banned permanently from filming in that part of Australia ever again. Oh, no, that's what I was going to say before. <laughs> what does this movie have in common with Razorback? That entire house gets demolished. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but oh, just seeing him, like, hijack a bulldozer and demolish this giant wanky mansion is so... It's it's Jackie Chan. I'm amazed that he just didn't do it with his bare fists. It has some of his best set pieces, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, it's yeah. There's not much to it. There's also um, someone gets beaten up with a cricket bat, which I appreciated. Oh hell yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Um, I also mentioned that um. Speaking last time about movies where people like died on the set. If someone told me like someone died on the set of this movie, I'd be like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." It looks like we'll get, of- we'll get to that with Vigil. No, no, no one died, but I'm I'm like half convinced that the actor of the dad just fell off a cliff, and they were like, <laughs> "Whoops," because those scenes look fucking dangerous. Oh. Yeah, I was like, I, I don't know if that's the next... That might actually be the next movie we're up to. Should we just talk about Vigil now? I think it is. Are we talking about Vigil? Dad? Dad? 
We can look after things, Elizabeth. We can't stop the hills caving in on us. You really find her just annoying? Nowhere near to the extent of Butcher Boy. I did, I mean... Oh, let's be honest, though. Like, Butcher Boy is mostly annoying due to the adult actor voiceover. No, I still disagree. I still think that little boy who plays Francie is a piece of annoying little shitty kid that I'm going to drown that kid. I don't know. I'm so, I'm so nostalgic for the innocence of youth that, like, I... I I love the character in Vigil. What, what uh, Toss Toss? I love her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I found. Okay, so I'm not going to say I hated it. There was a lot of things I liked about it. I thought it had very interesting things to say about like femininity, about how the mother clearly wants to push this idea of her being more feminine onto her daughter because, like, I didn't even realize it's supposed to be a girl at the beginning. She's got this like amazing mullet. And oh, she's so tomboyish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you uh, you messaged me early on referring to her as he. Oh, and I? I didn't know I didn't know the movie you were talking about because I was thinking, well, it's a, it's a she. It had some very, very interesting things to say about, like, yeah, like, femininity and the way mothers kind of push this idea onto their daughters about what they want them to be and how they want them to dress and stuff like that. I... I... There's a weird pedo shit in there that I felt a bit uncomfortable with. Sorry, nonce shit. Is there? Because, okay, so so with, with your first point, so I feel like it gets into the pushing a, an expectation of gender onto her in the second half of the movie a lot oh, more. Yeah, when we start seeing her as a ballerina and her hair sort of comes out and, and she, there's this amazing sequence where she imitates her mum doing makeup but with sheep's blood from a sheep's yeah, dick but with uh, with the other point of pedophilia like no there's very very briefly a misinterpretation of something that she says about the the main character not the main character I mean, but the invading it's character it's weird to like let a little girl suck on your finger i'm just gonna say that Yes, it is in real life, but I think in the in the sort of fantasy context of the movie, it's not meant to be taken completely literally. It's oh, it's sort of more sexy mink seducing this poor man. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I think it's symbolic. He, she, 
bites him and he he rubs his hand down her head and she bites his finger which has sexual overtones that is entirely symbolic and I don't think is meant to be in any way literally interpreted about something about their relationship being sexual at all I don't think he was like trying to molest her or anything I still think it's a kind of odd scene I feel like the director maybe is saying like oh she's exploring her sexuality or something I still don't I don't know I, I, I don't get that at all I in fact I think there's almost completely uh, it's it's almost completely absent from the movie uh, sexuality except for two scenes where she gets her period and where she seems to have a vision of her mum having sex with the stranger oh I thought that really happened I don't think it it does happen but she's very far away from it as it happens so so um just to give some background vigil is a is a new zealand movie about a little girl who uh named toss her actual name is is lisa right i think her mother calls her lisa and uh but everyone else calls her toss she's very tomboyish and she follows her dad into the mountains and he uh he's obsessed with getting rid of crows and sees a dead sheep on the side of a mountain, tries to get rid of it in order to get rid of the crows, and falls to his death in front of his daughter. And then he may or may not have fallen to his death as the result of a local hunter shooting a gun. Um, and that local hunter then inserts his life into Toss's life and... and sort of replaces the role of her father in some ways. Point out, this is a New Zealand film we're doing, not a Australian film. Yes, yeah. So I, yeah, like uh, the director is Vincent Ward, who has this obsession with, I mean, he's a very weird, surrealist director. He didn't get to make many movies. No one thought his movies were very financeable. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but uh, he has sort of an obsession with uh, medieval history. There's a sequence in this movie with jousting, like a dream sequence of jousting between her father and the the newcomer. Ethan? Is Ethan the name of... Yeah, I think he's like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And another one of his movies is called uh, The Navigator, a medieval odyssey in which um, a group of pilgrims uh, is trying to escape the Black Plague fall through a time portal and find themselves in New Zealand in the modern day. Uh, and that's that's very weird and very um, surrealist as well. And then he was actually commissioned at, to do the third Alien movie. Yes, I heard about that. I saw that he was credited as a writer on And his version of Alien 3 was that it would take place on a wooden planet run by monks. And the artwork is astounding, but so not what they wanted for it at all. And it it, it sort of worked its way through into the current iteration of Alien 3, where it's a prison planet filled with, like, overly religious 
uh, people who shave their heads bald, kind of like monks, but like it's not what Vincent Ward had in plan at all. So he's this very singular director. I actually really like Alien 3, but Jesus Christ, it has. Uh, yeah. I mean, David Fincher, you can't go wrong. Yeah, can go wrong with David Fincher, but. I mean, it's, it's a terrifying idea. The idea of being the only woman on a planet where a bunch of dudes probably want to fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I wish we got to see uh, Vincent Ward's idea. Like, like with the same level of surrealism and, 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 and handcraftedness that is in Vigil, but applied to, applied to Alien 3. Yeah, I, I will say, Vigil looks beautiful, and it has amazing sound design. Like, I, th- I presume that's a movie you meant when you said, like, all the breathing noises and stuff like that. Yeah, where they absolutely silence the background and they just put all of the sound design on breathing, grunting, and vocals so that it sounds like your voice travels forever. Dad, Dad, are we in the clouds? We're in the fog. Grandpa says it's the same thing. He would say that. Um... I saw my favorite part. I know this is like at the very end of the movie, but it's like when she gets her period, it's like, Grinded, I think I'm dying, Grinded. Aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Yeah, contrast that to the scene in Carrie. (laughs) Uh, uh, Well, well, one of my other favorite things is where where she, uh, she gets angry at God and starts throwing beans at the clouds and yells, Beans to God. Beans to God. Beans up your bum, God. Yeah, that's the bit that made me think of Butcher Boy. Like, oh. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yelling fuck off to the fish. Yeah. Yeah, it's just very Butcher Boy. I don't know, like, yeah, I didn't not, I didn't dislike it. It was maybe a little slow. A little, I, again, I, no one's fault but my own. The fact that I'm very, very tired all the time lately. Mm. So I'm watching most of these movies kind of half asleep, lying on the couch. It kind of I kind of feel like that's the best way to, to watch it. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, like, everything in the movie is, is so quietly magical and, and surreal. Like, again, like, it's just fog in the mountains, but she sees it as them being up in the clouds. And then there's the scene where the tractor comes to life and the granddad tells her that the tractor is alive. The the tuba that the granddad randomly yeah. plays. Um, there's He creates a giant metal hawk, which he was going to give as this terrifying gift to his son-in-law. And um, and the fact that the stranger Ethan can call hawks down from the sky, like I, I, there's all of the it's it's this weirdly magical movie. I think. Yeah, well, I was going to mention the tuba thing was another thing that made me think of Butcher Boy because in Butcher Boy, his dad when he gets oh the absolutely like the trumpet, and the absolutely gets angry and plays the tuba in this. So you you brought up before that I uh, I I was comparing the sound design of Dead Calm to uh, this and with again it's not just the non diegetic it's it, there's they also replace a hell of a lot of things that should just be normal sounds with 
instrument sounds. So there's um, uh, bullets falling on the ground from the gun that she plays with. They replace that with instrument noises. And I thought it sounded weird and I couldn't put my finger on why. And there's another bit where she lights something on fire and as the flames grow larger and the, the flames uh, flicker, every flicker is replaced with an instrument noise. Yeah, I, I, I know. There's this very handmade feel to the whole movie with her on her stilts and the, I know, just them yeah. them building that giant pump and and everything. It's, it's, you know, I, I, it sort of reminded me of felt in, in that sort of regard of, of uh, you know. I kept thinking of oh, I shouldn't say a lot of the rings that might just be the setting like beautiful lush New Zealand um, greenery uh, there's some other movie kept making me think of and I cannot for the life of me think of what it was but I mean speaking of the Galerma del Toro even though there's nothing explicitly like supernatural or anything in this movie it's very yeah it feel has a very surrealist quality. well I, uh- and, and have you seen The Devil's Backbone by Guillermo del Toro? Yes, I have, yeah. but I barely remember it. So, so, like, even though there isn't anything ghostly about this, it, it, it totally deals with the afterlife in a way that yes. Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth and, and The Devil's Backbone do as well. Uh, and both of those focus on children dealing with death and the afterlife. The, the, the del Toro's movies do it a bit more explicitly than this. I, I read several reviews where they interpret the the father as trying to rescue the sheep as he's going down and and what i interpret it as is the sheep is dead and he's trying to get rid of it because he is so afraid of fucking hawks and hawks are this symbol of death that that play out through the movie um and he hates hawks because they, you know, I, I, I guess for whatever reason, farmers hate hawks. But um, he he dies purely out of his obsession of getting rid of hawks, which he sees as a symbol of death, and ironically dies doing so. Uh, and and seemingly everyone else seems to think that he's he just dies in the duties of a farmer trying to rescue a sheep or something. How did, how did you interpret it when he goes down there to get the sheep? I honestly didn't really know why he was doing that. I was like, why the fuck is he climbing down this cliff? And then, yeah, it freaked me out. I kind of thought, yeah, maybe he was trying to rescue it too. And I was like, why the fuck? It's probably dead. Why is he doing that? No, no, it makes no sense to even try and rescue a sheep. Like, why would, they they say they have twelve hundred fucking lambs. Why would you try rescue a single sheep? He's doing it because he hates hawks, which it's later elaborated by both the, the granddad and Ethan that he sees his uh, that the father saw hawks as a symbol of death, and that's why he's trying to get rid of a trapped dead, rotting carcass, because it will attract more hawks. I didn't get any of that, to be honest. I I was just like, okay, he's climbing down the cliff. Oh, he died. Okay. Like, I... Oh, and, and, and again, like, like that scene looks so dangerous that, like, I'm half convinced the actor just did die. And then later on, they have the little girl who plays Toss 
sitting in the exact same position halfway down the mountain, yeah, perched so precariously. I was just like, Jesus Christ, is she is she okay? Is she just I don't think she's been in any of the movies since. Maybe she died. Maybe she died. Maybe she died in that she scene. Died. But so I interpret Ethan as initially I mean, he sees himself in this way and certainly Toss sees himself in this way and Toss's mother sees him in this way initially as being responsible for Toss's father's death. He fires a gun at the same moment he falls. And he is sort of this spectre of death. And, you know, when we first see him, Toss is looking at him killing a goat. Immediately her father dies. Then she later sees him carrying her father's body. And then later he has this otherworldly ability to call hawks down from the sky. And hawks are a symbol of death in the movie. But then as their relationship develops, and they become closer, I think it becomes more of a sort of a symbol of, of spirituality rather than just cold, blunt death, where you know, he catches spirits in glasses and he makes, you know, the light dance for her and, and later she calls him Hawkman while she's looking at images of angels and Things like that. Yeah. Hawk, man. Can't, actually, now it's just reminding me of Nicole Kidman's accent in uh, Dead Calm. Um, oh, Dead Calm. Stop getting horny for children, Marcus. Yeah, I, I want to point out that I reckon the actor who plays Ethan looks like a cross between Sid Haig from House of a Thousand Corpses and all those Rob Zombie movies and Angus Sampson. Nah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He even there's even a scene of a close up on his hand where he has like what looks like just mold growing on him. Which... His hands are fucked. He's going to like finger this mum's vag hole, her pussy hole, as he, as the colloquialism for it. And yeah, yeah his and... hands are fucked. And I was like, I would not let a guy's hands near my. I mean, it's not just the nails which are full of mud and dirt, and you wouldn't let that in you in the first place, I... but. There's close-ups where there's, like, literal mould growing on him. I didn't think it was mould. I thought they were just, like, really dry bits of, like, patchy scabs or something. It's green. It's fucking green. Oh, I didn't even realise that. Would be. And like, no again, again, a symbol of both rotting, but also a symbol of, of life. Especially in the context of a sex scene. Yeah, and that you don't want near your sex hole. I I I I just I find this movie really magical and really wonderful. It was alright. <laughs> so your friend's gonna hate me, but Look, um beans Sorry. up your bum. Beans up your bum. Yeah. I mean I I thought I had a lot of Sorry this fucking so I thought I had a lot of very interesting things in it. I really like movies that uh, are about taming the land, that are about sort of like you know, everything's working against you in this hostile environment, but you're going to make it work for you. You know, I, that might be a very a sort of Australian sort of settler yeah. invader even thing. So, you do like some coming-of-age movies. I like a lot of them. I think I don't like ones about younger children. I like ones about teenagers. Okay. Do you... Is that just because you've worked too much with kids, or...? Um, I don't 
know, I think it's. I'm trying to think. So, okay, I love the movie Thirteen, which I think I like ones that are more about kids like fucking up and doing drugs and shit like that than I like ones. Oh, I love Matilda. Matilda's a lovely movie. Yeah, but she has like telekinetic powers and like like. Like, it's hardly about coming to terms with death and, like, entering puberty and that sort of thing that the the vast majority of prepubescent uh, coming-of-age movies deal with. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, what is... Like, I mean, I, I like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That surely counts as one. Uh, Stand By Me. Yeah, I love Stand By Me. Stand, Stand By, by Me is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know... I, I have a, a close friend, Katie, who... Um, all I have to do is say, I never had friends like I did back then. <laughs> Jesus, does anyone? And she'll just like almost start crying. <laughs> and I just do it all the time. In front of it's her favorite movie. It's her favorite movie. And, and she is just like, but, but he never had friends like he did back then. And Rebel Without a Cause, Rushmore, Boy, Raw, Persepolis, Spirited Away, Harold and Maud. Pan's Labyrinth, The Graduate, The Virgin Suicides are the ones. I like Raw. Um, I like the It remake. I haven't actually seen the original one with them. I like part one. I like part one a lot. And the the original TV miniseries, is, it's rubbish. Don't, don't bother me. Yeah. It's rubbish. But yeah, I like that part one with all the kids. Those are really, really good kid actors. Yeah, like, I, I'm always going to relate more to movies about men and about guys. <laughs> Just dudes but... being guys. Dudes rule. No, 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 no. Rock. Even dudes rock. even even like critical movies of them. Um like I'm I'm never going to like personally relate to the craft. Yeah. But I oh, I will I will watch the craft and I will probably really enjoy the craft. It's very good. Like I couldn't personally relate to um, Sugar and Spice, but I really loved Sugar and Spice. Oh, okay. yeah. I, I know you liked it, but I'm happy to hear it again that you liked it. Well, yeah. I think Bring It On is good. I don't know if that's coming about. It's a movie about ostensibly about teenagers. Every time you mention Bring It On, my mind immediately goes to Whip It, and I don't know why. Whippet's not very good. I didn't like it. Um, Anything more to say on, on Vigil? Remember, remember, uh, we have a new subscriber who is hoping that you will have a wealth of things to say about it, and will be very disappointed that you don't. Uh, it was, it was perfectly serviceable. It was. He's unsubscribing as we speak. Actually, no. I do want to say one of my favorite scenes, which is one of the most tense movie moments I can think of. It's a bit where you think she's like picked up the gun and she's gonna like shoot. Oh gun. my that god! Was so good. I oh my god. And again, with the dead calm type of uh, sound design, where it's all yeah. her breath, nothing else. Everything else is muted except her breath. Oh, that was so tense. And I, I wanted the movie to be more of a horror movie. I think that's why I was maybe a little, because I had little bits of like horror. I was like, yeah, give me that spooky shit. And it just never quite got there. I, I, I find it so ethereal and haunting and i know these are these are sort of the the pretentious terms that make that are usually just um a stand-in for saying something's boring 
where you say it was really it was really poetic and uh, <laughs> and uh thoughtful you know that that sort of thing but no it, it it really is all of those things i think it's really really quite meditative and uh, no, it, it, yeah granddad is the movie we're making meditative i think this movie is quite thoughtful I call it haunting, Grandad. Hey, Grandad. 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 Grand. Hey, Grandad. Do you think this movie's haunting, or do you think it's ponderous? <laughs> I love her mullet. That's all I want to. That's my final remark. I love her fucking mullet. She looks like she belongs on Brunswick Street with that mullet. She's she's the daughter I I one day hope to have. Um. All right. Should we should we move on to the next one? Bounce. Siam Sunset. That's the last one I watched. Just keep an eye on that stuff, Grace. It's got a bit of kick in it. Some of it got a bit fermented. That's the only good thing about it. <laughs> yeah, go on, Stuart, sing it. He's been working on this all afternoon. It's a bit rough, but. Eye of the storm. Eye of the storm. Eye of the storm, eye of the storm. I found love in the eye of the storm. And then it just starts over again. That's lovely. Great. What are you going to call it? I found love. It's exactly what happened to us. I mean, like that's why it's so good. Who would have thought I'd have met someone like Stu out here? <laughs> Can I make a toast? If you wouldn't mind raising your beetroot juices. <laughs> to the love you find in hell. I am very, very <laughs> curious to hear what you said, thought about it. I, I, uh, look, a lot of the jokes didn't land for me, but like, uh-huh. but like 40 of them did. Like, I laughed all the way through this movie. There were jokes that fell completely flat, but a lot of them worked. And some of them just made me laugh very, very hard. I I do want to point out that the director of this, John Paulson, apparently created Chopfest, and he also directed Swim Fan, if you ever saw that movie. Swim Fan? Yeah, the movie... The- the stalker movie it's a very no idea movie. but he created Tropfest. yeah he created the hell this is kind of a Tropfest movie yeah it's very so i chose this movie there's so many movies i was thinking of choosing i chose this one because it was it's one of the first movies i remember watching i think with my family my extended family possibly the only movie i ever watched with my aunt and uncle i was maybe about I'm going to say 10 years old. And I went to my aunt and uncle's place in Ararat and my aunt was like, Oh, you guys have to watch this movie. It's so funny. And yeah, they just chucked it on. And hmm. after rewatching it, I was like, they should have not shown this movie to a child. <laughs> Cause. Oh, really? There's... Oh, there's. A... Oh, there's sex and violence, but it's not. Yeah. It's there's a lot of swearing too, but like my parents never. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's some pretty for something 
It's the kind of sex and violence that I was exposed to as like a nine, ten year old as well. Like, you know. Yeah, but like it's not particularly naughty. It's it's just Yeah. It was I was young enough to know that it was awkward to watch a sex scene with my extended family. Exactly, exactly. You are more awkward watching it with them than they are watching it with you. <laughs> so um we should probably explain what the movie's about. Um it's about this English guy who's in the very first no, actually no can i can i do the can i oh, do the yes, synopsis yes, so the synopsis, yeah. so after a plane explodes and a fridge falls from the sky a man starts seeing a giant bunny rabbit who tells him that the world is going to end <laughs> no a a plane does explode, and a fridge falls from the plane, and onto the girlfriend of our protagonist, uh, whose name I can't remember. Uh, he does not then start seeing a giant bunny rabbit, but it does lead him to believe that he causes chaos and random events wherever he goes. And there's good reason to think so, because at one point an earthquake happens, and it leaves a hole in the ground in the shape of a giant arrow pointing at him. So yeah, he, he thinks he's just bad news for anyone who, who is around him. But he conversely has some good luck winning a bingo game. You'd think good luck, except the bingo game wins him the world's worst tour of Australia. Oh, it's worth pointing out this guy is English. So the Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, and he he goes on a bus to a a bus tour to Darwin, so basically through the arse end of Australia, and it's intertwined with the story of a woman escaping her drug dealing abusive boyfriend. And I I thought was kind of impressive was that this movie made me laugh out loud during a scene where the abusive boyfriend is beating yelling, insulting, and cajoling the woman who's trying to get away from him, just because the dialogue was so fucking good. I'm trying to remember what he even says. I know I watched it quite recently. I watched it like a week ago and I don't remember what he says. I, I didn't write it down at, at the time, but it's just, it's, um, he he's talking about reconciliation between them and how he's been taking classes on reconciliation so he knows how to it's really snappy dialogue and he sounds like he's being super sincere at the same time as being super threatening and the whole thing is incredibly darkly comic i'm just kind of surprised i never heard of this movie yeah like according to letterbox only like 180 people have seen it I would not Fuck have found out if I had my, my now 70-something-year-old aunt at the time. She would have been, what, in her 50s, yeah, told me about it. I don't know how she found out about it. I could try and ask her. I don't talk to her very often. But, yeah, it's just this, it feels like a just a weird happenstance that I came across this movie. Oh, um, so speaking of you saying it was, fil- it was like, set in the arse end of Australia, it was actually filmed in Cooper PD, which is one of those... Yeah, it's a town where people have to live underground because it's too fucking hot to live on the surface. Yeah, so it's interesting that this is ostensibly set somewhere in Darwin. Well, they're going to Darwin. 
But yeah, it was, it was entirely filmed in South Australia. I looked it up. I can't remember. I think I may have watched it directly after I watched Razorback. So it's an interesting comparison to see the different, like, ways to film the Outback. Like, I think Sam Sunset is trying... I think maybe they're trying to make it look appealing. I'm not entirely sure. No, no, I think, I think, like, I I think it's sort of loving. It's sort of loving because, again, he, he finds the colour of Siam Sunset with a mixture of dust and the yellow and the outback colours of Australia. So it's sort of, it is sort of a loving tribute to what Australia's barren land is, but it is very acknowledging of the fact that Australia is a barren shithole with nothing around, with judgmental bogans who will just be like, what, you don't appreciate our country? Well then, fuck off. (laughs) That's a great Cockney accent. You sound like Jason Statham there, man. Ah, I sound of Australian. Yeah, you fucked up. We should probably point out the movie is called Siam Sunset because this main character is a a guy, he's an industrial chemist and his job is to create paint colours and he's trying to find this perfect colour called Siam Sunset that makes him think of his honeymoon with his... He says says that the colour he is looking for will make him find peace. And the colour in particular is the colour he saw as the sun hit his now-deceased wife's hair when they were on their honeymoon in Siam. And it made me think of, of there have been a number of people who have been driven insane looking for colours that don't exist. And one of the most famous is the sci-fi author Philip K. Dick, who wrote an entire trilogy of books about the colour that he went crazy trying to find. A a shade of purple that uh, that he thought was beamed into his brain from the from the heavens. Um, it, it, this was towards the end of his life when he had taken way too much acid and was trying to get off all hallucinogenics. But he he wrote the book Valis about a man who is very much a stand-in for him, who has a laser beam of a colour that's not on any colour spectrum that he can find, but is some kind of shade of purple beamed into his skull that, that gives him extraterrestrial knowledge. That's uh, uh, like I I kept thinking of him because of how how insane the main character is driven over finding this perfect color to explain his life, and and it's very 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 similar to how Philip K. Dick felt. I never thought about how much until seeing this movie again. That it's just really interesting to see someone whose job it is to make colors. Like I love that part where he's having lunch at the like shithole pub with that woman. That is that is one of the best romantic meeting scenes I've ever seen in a movie where you explain your art to someone. We we talked about with felt how I feel like there's a hell of a lot of movies where you have to suspend your disbelief that the art is good 
and in felt actually the art is quite interesting but like there's so many movies that are like oh i'm a great artist and they show the art on screen and it's really shit the the dinner sequence where he shows her that he can make any color from anything based purely from the food substances on the table is so brilliant and so perfectly illustrates what he does and and how he genuinely is an artist morphs his food into the color of the shirt she's wearing and it's amazing it's amazing it's incredible yeah it's very very romantic and sweet it's yeah that uh, yeah speaking of movies with weird tones like this has a very australian tone in the sense that it's a nice sweet romantic movie but also has this subplot of like a drug dealing boyfriend coming to hunt down this woman. Oh, I just, I, I really liked the one where they, they're like, they, another weird tonal shift in this. They find a guy who hung himself. Oh my God. One of the, the best images I've ever seen in a movie is the guy who hung himself and butterflies are floating all around him. It's beautiful. It's like, yeah, it's like something out of the the TV show Hannibal. It's one of the most beautiful death scenes I've ever seen. It's astounding. When they they go to the cops and they're like, oh yeah, blah, 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 hung himself. They're like, well, we're just going to have to leave him swinging for a bit. (laughs) Oh, so I have, this might be my final thought on the movie on this, but do you ever watch a movie... And then there's just one weird line that sticks with you for the rest of your life and you just think of it randomly. Well, I can't think of anything right now, but yeah, possibly, probably. So, so I watched this movie when I was quite young, as I mentioned, and the bit where the the abusive boyfriend guy, so at some point he gets set on fire. <laughs> yeah. They kind of think he's dead. And then he like comes back to life looking like a fucking zombie. He's wearing like a windbreaker at the time. And the jacket has, like, melted to his skin. And for mm. some reason, I always thought about this line where he's like, oh, I'm making peace with the knowledge that I'll be wearing this jacket for the rest of my life. I've always just thought of that line whenever I see, like, I don't know, people getting set on fire in movies or something. I just always thought about this line from the movie. Yeah, like, it's just, it fucks me up somehow. I was like, yeah, you are going to be wearing that jacket for the rest of your life. Because it's melted to your fucking skin. Like it's- the fact that he just doesn't quit, that he just like he is he's burnt to a crisp, melted, fucking had his sl- before all of that, he has his wrist slashed up, and he just doesn't quit trying to go on his revenge mission. He's amazing. To- like you know, like another thing I wanted to point out to compare it to Razorback is. There is another fucking actor in this movie who has the same name as an ex-Australian Prime Minister. There is an actor in this movie called Robert Menzies. There just happens to be an Australian actor named Robert Menzies. Oh, oh, the actor's name. I thought you meant a character. There just happens to be an Australian actor who also has the same name as an ex-Australian Prime Minister. I just find that so weird. (laughs) The two movies he watched. (laughs) How fucking weird is that? Well, I'm very happy you enjoyed it. I was kind of worried you might find it a bit stupid or something. No, 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 no. no. Like, the, the bit where the fridge falls on her had me <laughs> instantly. Yeah, like, not all of it works. Not all of it works. I don't think the ending particularly works, and I don't think 
some jokes don't land at all and it's very of the time yeah i i have a rule with comedies you know you have to make me laugh at least once every five minutes and this made me laugh on average i think probably every minute that makes me happy yay yeah um so i watched forgotten silver i'm in a small town called pukaroa bay in new zealand behind me it's the house of an elderly lady called Hannah McKenzie. Just appearing on television helped turn artists into iconic figures. And the audience was less than forgiving when they discovered the truth about a creative genius called Colin McKenzie. I, I just got inspired by the thought of, of making a film about a filmmaker and then recreating all his old movies. And it was that challenge, I think, that, that drew Peter Jackson in, into the project and why he got involved with it. I had no way of realising the significance of these films at the time. We later discovered they were made between the turn of the century and the late 1920s by an extraordinary New Zealander. A man who has now got to join the ranks of the great film pioneers. A guy called Colin McKenzie. Colin McKenzie is actually an amalgam of some real people. And so there's actually a, a genuine attempt made by Peter and I to affectionately honour real people in New Zealand history. Um, people like Richard Pierce. Minutes before takeoff, Colin positioned his camera above a wagon and waited. I had the privilege of shooting Colin McKenzie's footage, so it was my eye, you know, pretending to be Colin McKenzie, and it was quite fun, you know, finding ways to make it feel authentic, I guess. Even that was complete bullshit. <laughs> Colin mechanised his camera with great ingenuity. When Colin rode the bicycle, his camera rolled, thus creating the cinema's first tracking shots. <laughs> so we got carried away with all that, and I think we underestimated the, the you know, the, the effect that the actual hoax would have. So, of course, it was genuine shock and consternation on my part when we found that people actually believed it and then got really, really angry when they found out that they'd been had. You know, we're a, a small nation and we like to think that we punch above our weight and we like to jump onto the coattails of of the heroes that we see emerge. We gave people a, you know, a hero, someone who had done things before anyone else, and I guess people were just too quick to, to claim him. By Peter Jackson, of Lord of the Rings fam. Peter Jackson. I was thinking Meet the Feebles fame, but... <laughs> yeah, or Bad Taste, or Dead Alive, or The Frighteners. But, um, yeah, Forgotten Silver, um, I'll cut to the chase. I did not particularly like this. Oh, my God, you don't like... I'm how... I don't know how anyone doesn't like Forgotten Silver. I found it a bit boring. It's Sorry, 50 minutes of, of reinventing all of cinematic history to be about how New Zealand was the origin of everything filmic. This, again, it was just... Maybe a bit too subtle, the humour or something, but I found myself not 
I think I laughed at the guy who inadvertently started like the YouTube pranks gone wrong style by throwing pies at people at train stations. Oh man, just the the fact that he he goes on to to try and film Salome and then builds a biblical city in the middle of New Zealand that becomes a lost biblical city in the middle of New Zealand that they have to go and find. Well, that's kind of funny. I, that whole thing made me think of, um, have you said Synecdoche, New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, I kept thinking about that. What about just, like, I mean, I know, I know the fact that, like, Harvey Weinstein is in it, is... Is oh, fuck all you want. Yeah. I have the shit rapers. <laughs> yeah, like I, I forgot that he was in it entirely. And just seeing seeing him talk about film history, I was like You you ruined several movies because you didn't give a fuck about movie directors' visions. And you also ruined several women's lives. Like, like seeing Sam Neill pop up again. Yeah, yeah. Sam Neill talking about the the influence that this fictional director had on him is astounding. Um, and then there are just so many people from and, and and what happened was, do you remember the spaghetti tree hoax? I feel like as an Italian, you have to know this. I don't actually. There was a BBC. I think it was BBC, like. 20 minute uh documentary that aired on television about italian women harvesting spaghetti from trees and everyone thought it was true like millions and millions and millions of people seemed to think that that's how you got spaghetti and that's how you got the true spaghetti like oh i get it in a packet but like there's this true spaghetti that's harvested from trees and where can I get it? The BBC was inundated with calls. It might not have been the BBC. I'm pretty sure it was, but yeah. Whatever studio production company it was. The same thing happened with Forgotten Silver, where everyone thought that... that but every everyone thought he was a real director who had who had invented cinema, and they all called in, and people started to like try and say that they had known him, or that they might think that they had a relative who knew him, or maybe they had some film reels that Colin McKenzie, that... Colin McKenzie, Colin McKenzie. Everyone took this as absolutely seriously, and if you watch the credits, like it says. And thank you to the Australian, uh, not the Australian, the, the New Zealand Film Archive for providing all of the restoration for Colin McKenzie's movies. They play it through to the very end. Everyone took it very seriously and thought okay, it was very makes, real. That makes me like it better. I didn't even read any of that. And I was just like, oh, this is just a little bit dippy bit mockumentary. <laughs> Oh man, people are dumb shits if they believe that. Man, people are really dumb. I mean, like it is played very straight. And so straight, and they get real figures. Like getting Harvey Weinstein. I I know, I know Harvey Weinstein is a rapist scumbag, but at the time that this movie was made, he was such a huge deal in 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 movies, and I think he was 
awful for movies, but getting him in your movie to pretend to say that Colin McKenzie was this real figure really sold the idea that Colin McKenzie was this real figure and that there was this lost city of Jerusalem in the middle of fucking New Zealand that Peter fucking Jackson is going and hunt of. Okay, now that I know that people actually fell for it, maybe I'm a bit more endeared to it. I don't know, man. Like, where's your joie de vivre? I don't know. I think it it disappeared when I started working again. (laughs) Oh, look, Forgotten Silver is a very slight movie, but I think it's a movie with immense reverence for the history of cinema. There were so many adaptations of Salome and so many biblical epics made in the silent era that I find it so heartwarming and so touching the idea that the very first one was made by a New Zealander and they have to go find the lost set. Peter Jackson is so, so clever and so innovative and funny. Like, I don't know if you've seen Bad Taste or Dead Alive or The Frighteners. No, none of them. The, the, the front cover for Bad Taste haunted me a blockbuster and scared the shit out of me. So the weird guy holding the gun, that cover always freaked me out. Well, and he made that over a period of three years with his friends every weekend on a budget of like $2,000. Good for you, Peter Jackson. The, like, there's a Blu-ray set which has the making of Bad Taste, and the making of is better than the movie, just because it's just, like, it, it's such a triumph of... The will. The will. It's such a triumph of the will. I just, I'm astounded by the fact that this is the guy who then went on to essentially be responsible for all of New Zealand's economy. The reason they have any money at all. The reason that they are a thousand times better than Australia ever will be is entirely because of Peter Jackson bringing people to see Mordor. I'm sorry, I don't have much to say about Forgotten Silver. Um, Yeah, I guess I thought it was going to be a funny movie and it wasn't. And so... It's so funny. It's so... It just made me laugh so much on the rewatch. Yeah, I'm sorry, mate. Do better next time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Oh, man. What's next? Is it, uh, is it Mother's Day? Is it? Oh, uh, yeah, Mother's Day's in like two weeks, so we've got to get like a like along with that. All right. So, um, happy Anzac Day. Think about our diggers. 